Welcome to the Wealth and Overdrive podcast, where we deliver you real life and proven financial strategies to help clear the fog you've been misled to believe about your retirement, investing, and personal finances from traditional financial planning. So if you're ready to grow real wealth with less risk, fewer taxes, and no fear of Wall Street, here's your host, nationwide speaker, elite consultant, and author, Phil Bodine and Son Harry. Hello, clients and friends. We're glad that you can join us for this podcast uh, today. Uh, I would say in the last two to three weeks, we've had several clients call into our office. Uh, they're worried about the volatility in the market. They're worried about the violence. Uh, they're concerned of what's happening in their 401ks. There, there a lot of uncertainty going on right now. And so who would I ever think of uh, to, to bring on as an expert to help calm the nerves, ease the pain of what's going on uh, in the economy today? First guy that comes to mind is Andrew Updike. He's a CFA, which in our field is the highly accredited, uh, sought after credential. It's one of the toughest credentials to, to get in our industry, a certified financial analyst. Uh, he's with Westbury um, Economics Team. And Bloomberg uh, rates that team as the top forecasting team in the country. And so who better to have us on today's uh, podcast been Andrew. And Andrew, I'm, I'm going to let you take it away. Please, if you would, just map out uh, from our clients what you see from your, your perspective, what's going on in the market, the economy, our debt structure. And uh, I, I'm, I'm going to turn it over to you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for having me on. And, you know, it's it's interesting to me. You mentioned we, we've been ranked consistently by Bloomberg as one of the top forecasting teams in the country. And a lot of times I get the question, what's led to the consistency? Why have you guys had the track record that you've had? And what I keep going back to is because we let math do the talking. And there's a lot of times, and we're seeing it right now, where emotion starts to run high. And we can see these, these emotional disconnects. And Listen, I understand why this takes place. If you turn on the TV, if you turn on the radio, if you open the newspaper, and now over the last 10, 20 years, if you pull out your cell phone, you are inundated with negativity, right? The news in good times and bad is, is always negative. The goal there is to sell advertising. They know that humans are loss averse. It keeps our attention. But at the end of the day, math wins out. And I'll tell you, some of the times the math is not that exciting, but it gives us an idea on where we stand. And looking back to history, kind of gives us some ideas on where we're going. So that's what I want to do today is walk you through what we're seeing right now and what we think that that, that suggests about the remainder of this year. Now, I don't have a crystal ball. I, I Actually, we do have crystal balls that we've won for forecasting. They don't work. I've tried it. But, you know, let me remind you, let me start by reminding you that coming into 2022, it was going to be a more difficult year, right? Because we were coming off of 2020 and 2021, a time period where we had $5.5 trillion of additional money coming into the system, adding to economic spending, 
right? It lifted GDP. We're coming off of 2021, where the U.S. saw kind of a big boost from the reopening process. Last year, in fact, was the single fastest year of output growth that the U.S. has seen since 1984. And then we came into this year with multi-decade high inflation. It was about 7%. Now, you know, those factors, it didn't mean we weren't going to grow this year, but it meant that we were going to grow slower than we did in 2021. Now we get the escalations. We get Russia, Ukraine. We get China and the zero COVID policy adding to issues with the supply chains. You get the Fed being more aggressive with dealing with inflation, raising rates faster, and all of those things have added to volatility. All of those things have heightened emotions. And one quote that I've heard a lot this year, people bring it up, is a famous Mike Tyson quote. And the the quote is, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And Tyson at the time, what he was saying is, look, you can have plans on how you're going to go into a match. You can have a plan on what you're going to do when things get tough. But when push comes to shove, when that adversity really comes in, instincts often take over. Right. We we fear kicks in and and all of our best laid plans go out the window. The thing that I think is most interesting about that quote is that at the time he was talking about Evander Holyfield. This is 96. Uh, Tyson is a heavy, heavy favorite to win this fight against Evander Holyfield. And Holyfield said, I got a plan. I'm going to work, Mike, and we're going to slow him down. Tyson says this quote, but Holyfield won the fight. Right. Because at the end of the day, he stuck to the plan. When the body shots started coming, when the uppercut started coming, he stuck with the plan and that plan ultimately led to victory. And I think that's a great analogy for this year because the the fists of fury are flying in the markets. It has been a turbulent year. It's been an emotionally painful year. But I think that the plans we had in place going into this year, the fundamentals that we look at, you know, suggest sticking to that plan is going to reward you over time. What are those fundamentals? Okay. Economic growth is continuing here in the U.S. economy. There was a report, first quarter GDP was a negative number. It was down about 1.5% inflation adjusted. With inflation, spending was still positive. And this got a lot of people worried. This is what really amplified the recession word in the media. But when you dive underneath the details, when you take that report and go past the first page and you look at pages two, three, four, five, six into the appendix, what you saw is it was heavily related to what was happening on two fronts. One, trade, because in the first quarter, Omicron, the U.S. was opening up substantially faster. We are further along on that COVID recovery process. It had more of an effect on emerging markets. It had more of an effect in some of the places like Europe. Now, that's reversing itself as we go into the second quarter. This has already been, it's already at this point, less of a headwind factor in Q2. The other major thing that came through was inventories. Okay, Inventories were a, a drag on growth in the first quarter. Now, initially, that, that sounds bad. Right. It sounds like it's a negative because people said, well, does that mean that companies are not investing in products? Do they not believe that consumer strength is going to be there? And the answer to that is, is no. Actually, what happened was there was a huge boost to inventories in the fourth quarter of last year. So the first quarter of this year was slower because deliveries that were expected to take place in January actually took place in December. The Q4 print from last year was an incredibly strong GDP number. We got a bit of a balancing out in Q1. The Federal Reserve had their meeting a week after the GDP, the first number came out, okay? And there was a question that was asked of them. They said, uh, you know, can you really be raising interest rates? Can you really be combating inflation in this type of environment? And what the Fed said is, look, what drives GDP over time? What drives growth over time? It's fundamentally 
what's going on with the consumer, what's going on with businesses. And when you look at those two components of GDP, consumption and business investment, the first quarter was actually one of the strongest quarters that we have seen in quite some time. It was these temporary, typically volatile factors that have moved that headline print. But consumers and businesses are what drive us forward. Now, consumption today, this is an incredible thing when you, you step back and think about it. After the financial crisis, it took us about two years for consumption, purchases in the economy to get back and start setting new highs. Today, we are about 29% above where we were pre-COVID. We had closed the gap. We started setting new highs in 2020. Then in 2021, we saw some significant growth activity take place. Now, some of that was related to the checks that came through, that stimulus that was supporting economic growth. And people said, well, maybe that's it's sugar high then. This is temporary and we're about to see consumers pull back. But when I talk with the banks and I have a lot of conversation with the banks, they said, that's not what we're seeing when we look at their accounts. They did spend money. They did put money to work from those checks, but they also made some substantial progress on the debt front. Uh, during COVID, they paid down credit card debt. That's now come back and started to rise again. But the number they look at is called the obligations ratio. It's kind of a fancy economic speak. What it's saying is how much of your after-tax income, okay, the money that hits accounts is going back out to pay for the house, is going back out to pay for the cars, going back out to pay for credit card debt, right? It's, it's basically saying how levered are you? How at risk are you? If there's a slowdown in the economy, are you at risk of, of you know, defaulting on payments? That number today is at the healthiest level that we have seen since at least 1980, which is when the data started being recorded. Okay, So the banks say, man, our clients have never looked better. Businesses have strong balance sheets today. When, when asked in a lot of their earnings calls, they said it's hard to see the recession when the consumer is this strong. Now, it's not just that they improve this debt balance sheet. They also have built up significant cash balances. Checking account balances in the United States right now are up 2 to $3 trillion over the last 18 to 20 months. And to put that number in some perspective, that number stood. Total checking account balances were at about one trillion when all this started. So we are now two, three times that. Uh, and, and, and consumers, they're worried. They're still nervous. They're still, uh, they, we don't know exactly what the future is going to hold. And they say, what if, what if Russia, Ukraine escalates? What if China invades Taiwan? What if the Fed does hike us into a recession? And so with that, they've been a little bit more cautious about bringing money to work. But at the same time, they are still spending. Now, they're shifting a bit. They're starting to shift from goods towards services. You, you see it. You, you hear it from Walmart. You hear it from Target. These companies are saying, hey, you know, people are, are still buying. Sales are still up. But, but we're starting to see shifts from we're buying lawn furniture to bu we're buying luggage. And I travel just about every week. I do about 100 flights a year. I visit about 100 cities per year. And I will tell you that over the last six to nine months, the explosion in activity at the airports, at the hotels, at the rental car centers is clearly visible. So that's going to show up and, and you're going to hear some news about a slowdown at, you know, XYZ retailer. But if you step back and you look at the broader activity, what you see is that consumption continues to move forward. Now, inflation, it remains an issue. And the main reason for this uh, is is not... And I'll tell you, if you turn on the TV, I'm sure you've heard about supply chains. I'm sure you've heard about employment. 
I don't know if you heard that last year was the single best year for employment gains in U.S. history. I don't know if you've heard that in the first four months of this year, we've already added close to 2.1 million jobs to the U.S. economy, which is about what we would do in a calendar year going back to 2015, 16, 17, 18. Jobs are coming back at a rapid pace. I think we will add four to five million jobs to the economy this year. And that, too, is supporting economic growth. These are hands at work, hands producing that production directly flows into GDP. These are hands at work, hands producing that are getting paychecks, which is sustainable spending power into the future. We, at the end of this year, should be up in terms of the total number of people working in the U.S. economy. After losing 22.4 million workers in two months' time, in March and April of 2020, by the end of this year, we should be back and slightly above. Uh, it's, it's, it's not a boom in employment. I wish we were higher. I think there, that we're going to continue to see some tailwinds pushing us higher as we move through this year, as we move into next year. But those healthy job gains, that business investment that's taking place, the consumption from healthy consumers, all of that supports economic activity. And I think this year, GDP growth, it's not going to be five and a half like it was last year, but I would expect something in about the 2% range, 2 to 3%, which is healthy. It's progress. Now, as the Fed tightens, as the Fed keeps raising interest rates, this is what people are worried about. The Fed has ruined the party uh, at times in the past by over-tightening, that, and, and, and this is possible. I'm not going to I'm not going to say that we won't see a recession in 2023 or in 2024. I think they're tightening, but they're not yet tight enough to stop activity. And we continue to see that with companies, the business investment side of the equation, whether that's first quarter GDP or the numbers we get from things like the durable goods report show companies are putting this money to work and they're putting it to work uh, successfully. If we look at earnings, if we think about the lifeblood of the markets over time, the driver of the the value from markets over time, earnings have made substantial progress. Unlike the financial crisis, after the financial crisis, it took us five years for earnings to come back and set a new high. This time we saw the decline in 2020, but in 2021, earnings ended the year at about $200 per share. In 2019, before COVID, they were at about $160 per share. Earnings rose roughly 30% from 2019 to 2021. And the estimates this year are that earnings are going to grow about another 10%, that next year they're going to grow about 8%. Okay, so there's this disconnect that I'm seeing when I dive into the data, when I look at what's happening with consumers, when I look at what businesses are doing, when I look at the earnings growth that's taking place, and then I look at the market reaction, and I see the fear. I I see the negativity. I see the concern. We play a lot of, I'm hearing a lot of investors talk about those what ifs, but that's not new. We do the what if game every time the market starts to rise because we are risk averse, loss averse people. Fear is a more powerful emotion than than almost anything else. Okay. And that's why to, to bring it all kind of back, I think we need to have a plan. I think we need to have a strategy of finding the data looking at the information that can tell us what's really taking place. It's less exciting. It's less sensational. But emotions have been a terrible gauge, a terrible guide to investment decision-making over time. We're going to keep going back to the numbers. We are going to keep going back to the fundamentals because while that emotion can win today, this week, this month, the math wins out over time. So 
Ultimately, my view right now, the economy is going to continue to grow in 2022, a modest pace, not as fast as last year, but led by jobs, led by consumers, led by business investment. I think the markets are going to get past this wall of worries we get into the summer as they see the data continuing to come in. I think the markets should move higher. I think the markets right now are undervalued, uh, but I, I don't have a crystal ball to tell you exactly when that's going to take place. I can't time the market. I don't know anybody who can time the market. So the ultimate question is, is now a good time to be in the market? And I think it is. With that, why don't I pass things back to you, Phil? Wow. What? It's kind of like the Energizer Bunny. I just wound you up and <laughs> let you go. <laughs> um, just, you know, in, in order for us to keep our clients' emotions in check, because you, you talked about emotions. Uh, you talked mm -hmm. about volatility. Um, there's... You did talk about recession. Uh, you don't see all the dashboards that you see around you and all the indicators. Your uh, The S&P 500 index over the last seven has managed to decline the last seven weeks in a row. Uh, mm -hmm. Bond market is screaming recession the last two mm -hmm. months in a row. Are, is that perhaps what we're going to see here towards the end of the year, if not into next year? is recession. Yeah, it, I, I mean, that's certainly what they're going to be worried about. But let's let's think about the markets for a second, because it's not unusual. It's, it's actually pretty common that the market can see pullbacks of 10, 12, 14 percent. Let me give you let me give you the Nasdaq, for example, because the Nasdaq has gotten absolutely hammered this year. The Nasdaq mm -hmm. came into existence in 1971. It's been in existence for 51 years. How many times in those 51 years has the Nasdaq pulled back by 10 percent or more? The answer is 66 times. It happens roughly every 11 months. Now, that's 66 pullbacks. Have we had 66 recessions during that time frame? No. Have we been concerned about recessions almost every single year? And the answer to that is, is yes. There's almost always a reason to be concerned. You can find it if you look hard enough. We can bring out, again, those what ifs. And the market, because we had a strong 2021, uh, we had a strong second half of 2020, the, the, the markets get nervous when things go well. They think, okay, this must be, you, you, can't, you can't move forward without any friction. And that friction is showing up. But I think the emotions... Mm -hmm. And war, I mean, I'll tell you, when, when Russia invaded Ukraine, I had a hard time sleeping that night. I, I was sitting down, I was watching it in, in my family room, and I've got a seven-year-old and I've got a four-year-old sleeping upstairs. And all I can think about is these families, right? These families that, that are in Ukraine that want absolutely nothing to do with this. My emotions were, were absolutely elevated. Right. And then when you, you, you hear about other conflicts that are going on, right, it, it, it ramps up our emotions. And so when, when we're fearful to begin with, we're much more susceptible to hearing negative information. That's why for us, it's a tricky thing to do. But our jobs when we come in is to put on the analyst hat to say, OK, I feel bad. I, I, I don't like what I'm seeing around me. But is there something fundamental driving this? Does the data suggest that this is warranted? Does data suggest this is going to continue? Or does history, does the data suggest this is a temporary factor? And when we continue to watch our dashboard, we watch those fundamentals. Uh, for example, that business and investment, when I look at it on a GDP standpoint, uh, we, we've had periods where the headline number in GDP declines, but this core component moves up. 
We've had it happen 18 times uh, since the 1950s in five of those occurrences. Five of the 18, we actually saw a recession eventually, which means that in two-thirds of the time, a little more than two-thirds, we didn't go into a recession. We, we, we saw those temporary volatile factors that ultimately correct themselves, and we continue to move forward. And I think that's the most likely case that we're in today. Well, um, well, if I can interpret what you've said here in the last 20, 25 minutes, thank you, Andrew, uh, mm -hmm. stick to the plan. <laughs> yes. Uh, call your yes. advisors, talk to your advisors, talk through it. Uh, don't, don't get immersed in your emotions. And, uh, if you have questions, I'm, Andrew, I'm just going to give them your, your private cell phone number and they can call <laughs> you. Right. <laughs> I'm going to have oh. that auto forward to you. Okay, great, great. No, Andrew, such a pleasure. Um, so grateful for your time today. Um, I know you get inundated by calls. You chose to pick up the phone for us. We're, we're so grateful that you uh, chose to uh, spend at least a little bit of time with us today and give us updates. Thanks for calming it, not only my client's nerves, my nerves, our emotions. And remember, stick to the plan. Look at the data. And if you have questions, just call Andrew. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much, Phil. I will say, you know, here's let me let me end with with, with saying one thing is, you know, Phil, we're one of many resources that Phil has at his disposal. We I get to have this conversation with Phil on an ongoing basis. Right. But if you if, if fear is running high, if you see something that concerns you, reach out to him. Right. Because he's got a whole team behind him to dig into the data, to look back at history, to try to put things into context. If we can be a resource in doing that, we're very happy to do it. Phil, thank you for all the work that you do yeah. with your clients. And thanks for having me yeah. on today. Yeah. Thanks, Andrew. Again, we're grateful for your time. And, and thank you again. Appreciate you. Appreciate you. To death. Thank you. Thank you. Stay blessed. This has been another episode of the Wealth and Overdrive podcast. For more information about taking your money into your control, visit www.philbodine.com slash 401k. Also, it would mean the world to us if you could hit subscribe, leave a review, and share this with people you know and love.